Welcome to The Bibliophiles, the official podcast of Big Little Literature. I'm your host, Beth Stephens, and I'm here to provide real lit feels for real lit lovers. Why, hello there. Welcome to another episode of The Bibliophiles, and today is a very important episode because we are talking about the series finale of Little Fires Everywhere. Woohoo! And of course, we have my girls with me, Dana and Hillary. Welcome back, guys. It's a bitter It's our last episode. I know. Well, we'll, well just have to. Show. Yeah, we'll just have to like read more books together, and then also yeah. watch more TV shows that are made from books. It'll be fine. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's just dive right in. We have to talk about this ending. So, spoiler alert for those who have not seen the final episode: they do change the ending. And we do have the children set fire to the house. Well, I just find it really funny because last episode we were so sure that, of course, it was going to be Izzy who still starts the fire. Like, why would they change that? So the ending was really dramatic and engaging, because especially once I saw that they were deviating. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. And it felt a little easy for the kids to have realized that they were all wrong and Izzy was right and they finished what she started but I'm reading an interesting article by the New York Times and one of the writers there put it that she it's like the kids sent up a smoke signal to Izzy that if she came back things would be different because nobody knows where she went and I thought that was kind of cool interesting way to look at it I mean clearly Izzy wanted to start the fire she was um, throwing the gasoline everywhere as she would have if she hadn't been intercepted by the kids and then her mom and then Elena drops the bombshell that basically says to her face that she didn't want her in the first place and everyone's horrified it was an incredible scene to watch mm-hmm. Dana what about you what did you think of the ending I thought it was really great ending for the TV show very shocking and also you know, in the book, it's kind of okay that, you know, the other kids they have to kind of, like, live with the consequences of their actions, kind of go off on their own with their thoughts with the book. But in the show, I feel like maybe that would have been unsatisfying for the audience because, you know, they were all kind of problematic, especially, I feel like, Lexi. So to have them kind of be the ones doing it, I felt was kind of, like, a dramatic moment of justice or something that, like, worked well in the show. Mm-hmm. So I'll just preface this by saying, like, I I did like it. I liked watching it. I was like, shit, like, I can't believe this is happening. And I was totally fine with it not matching the book. I think a long time ago I got over that. And I'm, like, seeing this as its own, I've said it before, like, its own piece of art. But then I was reading an article in L that was saying that by the – so it was ultimately, like, the kids blaming Elena for everything – and they also, like, need to take responsibility for things. So by them setting this house on fire, it really was like they're putting all of the blame on Elena. And when I read that, I was like, that's a really good point. Like, they're not taking responsibility for any of their actions, for any of, you know, for the way that they've treated me and Pearl. So I agree with the article, but I think I still like the way it ended. I just thought it was an interesting article and an interesting take on it. The thing is, they're all still so young and impressionable and their view of the world was shaped by Elena. So for Lexi to think that it's okay to co-opt 
someone else's story to ensure that she gets into Yale, for her to think it's okay to put Pearl's own safety at risk by putting her name down at the abortion clinic shows how little regard she has for other people, um, as long as it doesn't stand in the way of what she needs. And I think that probably growing up in a life of privilege, Elena and Bill removed most obstacles for her to have as easy a life as possible. She's not aware of how to problem solve on her own. So you have that aspect of it. You have moody thinking, like as Izzy um, points out really eloquently that, you know, Moody thinks that Pearl owes him something for having taken an interest in her and buying her a bike and buying her the notebooks. You know, clearly their affection was bought by their parents as well. So he learned that as much as they should take responsibility for their actions, they're also a reflection of the way they were raised. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was I was watching some videos with, with Reese Witherspoon too, and she was saying how like Elena is also a product of her environment, which is true. I mean, we t- I think we talked about last week how like she mentions, um, you know, her her mom. She and her mom would protest for uh, for women's rights and things like that. But then her mom also said, "Well, you know, we don't get abortions. We're not those type of people." So she's clearly a product of her environment too. But she's also the adult in the situation and had an opportunity to change and decided not to. So mm-hmm. I think you're right that the kids deserve a little bit more leeway in the end. Maybe. I feel like, you know, maybe they'll, maybe the kids so will, like, break the chain. Who knows? Because I feel like Lexi's, like, come to Jesus was telling, was telling Elena that, like, she was the one that had messed up. Like, even though it obviously didn't really have that much consequence at the time, I feel like for her, that was her, you know, owning up to stuff and she never owns up to anything. She was admitting to herself that she was the one that, you know, did these bad things. She wasn't the perfect child. But at the same time, too, it's also awful that Lexi feels that she's the one who messed up. When clearly it takes two to tango, Brian is never going to have to know of what she had to go through by herself. Which, which she should have told him. But she felt she had to do that because when she brought up the possibility of having a baby with him, she said, he said, oh, my parents would kill me. Like, don't joke about that. Meanwhile, if that's how you feel, why aren't you coming in through with the protection, Brian? Like, why is it all on uh, Lexi to be the gatekeeper? I will um, say when they started having sex, like, he, like, he really bothered me. This is going back a few episodes toward the beginning, but he was kind of all high and mighty, and I think he had every right to be. But then as soon as she wanted to sleep with him and she was willing to do that, he kind of like swept everything else under the rug. And I was like, okay, it's fine. She wants to have sex with me. Like, like also he's using her in that situation too. Yeah. Everyone's going to use each other. There's layers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're, you're blinded by your own oppression without realizing others. So like he is kind of only thinking about, the um, issues he's had to deal growing up as a black man in a very white community, but he's not thinking about the inherent misogyny of how women are treated as simply vessels for men's pleasure and ultimately procreation. And I think this is why, like, I don't like any of the characters. (laughs) Like, some of them are definitely better than others. Like, He's really not that bad compared to others, and I like Bill, even though Bill has his moments too, but 
honestly, at the end of the day, none of these characters, I'm like, I I want to hang out with this person. They're all kind of awful. Right. right. And I, was, I also came across this cartoon today about, like, the emotional labor that's on Steam that most women have to deal with in managing a household, which is, like, 75% of the work. So when women are overwhelmed by having to keep the house in order, a man will just say, well, you didn't ask me to help. But then that's also putting the onus on the women to use the mental energy to figure out what she needs in order to ask. Instead of a man thinking, like, if she wasn't there, the man would have to do it on his own. So why isn't he realizing, oh, hey, if I don't do this, then it's not getting done. You know, and I think that's what Elena, her point was when she, you know, she had three kids and then a new baby that she wasn't really on board with, but she went through with having. And he, she says to him, like, you never came home earlier. You saw that you saw that I was having trouble and you never asked me if I was okay. So after seeing that cartoon today, it made me empathize with her a little more. Obviously, she had postpartum depression that did not allow her to behave in a reasonable way you know I just it made me see you feel a little differently but it also I don't think that was like a a, an intentional malicious act I think that's just like the oblivion of how men are raised to think that women are just in service of them well and I think Bill too is also like a product of his environment and this is why I think it's really interesting that this story was set in the 90s because it's so different from what I mean obviously there's still misogyny and things are not equal today but I do think the narrative would be a little bit different if this were a story set in, in 2020 as opposed to the mid-90s. Like, he grew up in a different environment than, you know, a man of his age today. And that doesn't give him a get-out-of-jail-free card, but that's also just another example of how he's a product of his environment. Totally. Well, and then what's interesting about that, if it was set today, this article that I referenced in the New York Times, it's by Jennifer Vineyard, and what she brought up, too, was that it was actually easier to get an abortion in Ohio in the 90s than it is now because they've backtracked on their rulings more recently. So that's another interesting backdrop to bring this story where you had Elena who wanted an abortion and fought for the right to for women to be able to have one but then feels pressure to go through with the birth. You have you know, her daughter going through with it and not, be, not feeling like she is safe enough to admit to her parents that that's what she's done. Um, so especially being set in Ohio, it's really interesting. Ooh, that is really interesting. I would have thought it's the opposite. Yeah, I think most places that's the case. Mm-hmm. Another point that she brought up in this article was that the writer's room was tasked with reading the book White Fragility, Why Is It So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism? So it, that was the mindset that the writers were put into when it was decided that Kerry Washington would be playing Mia. And now that I've read that, it is so clear (laughs) about what the direction that the show took Mm -hmm. um, because it's constantly confronting Elena and Lexi's, um, especially kind of ignoring the, calling themselves colorblind so that they didn't have to talk about institutional racism. And it also made me wonder too, just as a viewer, like, are we so uncomfortable with Terry Washington's emotions because of that very trope of angry black women, right? Like, why can't she has plenty to be angry about, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting. There was one scene that seemed to be too much of like 
it's being too explicit. So it was when she, in the final episode, when she's walking through the grocery store and she's listening to, like, a podcast yeah. or something. And it just seemed, like, a little too yeah. too explicit for, like... I agree. And, like, a lady grabs her purse or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, like, grabs her own, like, clutches her purse. Yeah, and it's, like, this social commentary about how Shaker, like, isn't really that diverse, you know, they're not what they claim they are, and it was, it was, like, okay, like, I feel like all, all the, all of the other implicit, like, actions and narratives said a lot, and this was just, it was a bit too much on the nose for me. Definitely. I think that they were trying to do, like, a patchwork thing of, because Elena kind of says it in the beginning, where, like, oh, Shaker's really known for being, like, um, in the early frontiers of integrating and that her mother was a part of that decision um and I feel like in the book they maybe explored the founding of Shaker more so that it would make more sense so instead they have Carrie like learn more or sorry Mia learn more about it through whatever it was Mm -hmm. an audiobook or radio story on her Walkman Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was a little heavy-handed um I've got to say though the scene of Mia telling Elena that it was Lexi who had the abortion and not Pearl what a payoff. I think um, pivoting away from, like, the African-Americans in the story to Maylin, you have kind of the, another aspect, too. I, I really like the courtroom scene. Uh-huh. Um, the, the trial scenes were really good, I thought. Like, um, their emotions were so, the way they portrayed that, I thought was really powerful. They did, and I thought it was, like, exactly how people do respond to questions like that. Like, they don't understand what they're saying when Mrs. McCullough is like, you know, well, we wanted to give her an American name, and he's like, why did you need to do that? Those are the things that people don't get, and it's very, like, it's not an overt thing. It's very difficult for people to understand those things about people's identity. It was, like, just a really good just overall especially when they didn't like go into Mia's past and like you know Elena's sitting there all like pissed off yeah all around totally well and what was interesting to give um Miss McCullough like a you know to get to cut her some slack did they know Mei Ling's name the baby was dropped at the fire station I was so wondering I that too that yeah, who even knows? right like I don't think she was even thinking about changing her name she was just giving her one but because the defense attorney, or I guess he was prosecutor, I don't, I, I'm not good at this. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, BB's lawyer, the fact that he came at it from that angle of why did you erase her history, when I'm sure that was not a thought that was crossing her mind, but it's going to set her up to be on the defense and go into the fact, oh, well, it's a family name. You know, that's not going to satisfy. She could have. It would have been much more plausible for her to be like, I didn't know her name. She was left at the fire station with no documentation. <laughs> well, I think yeah. all of that just goes back to like to microaggressions. And I and I haven't read the article, I'll be honest, but I, was, I saw a headline that this show is for, not for well-intentioned white women, but it's like, listen up, ladies. Like, you think right. you have good intentions, but like there yeah. are ways you act and things you say that you, you're probably ignorant and you don't know about them, but that doesn't mean you can't learn how to like better right. relate to people and how just to like treat people in general. Yeah. So I think the show was, was really powerful in that aspect. Do you want to talk about also the resolution for Mia and Pearl? Because like, you know, we had noted that in the book, Pearl was much more empathetic to her mother. And then here they obviously drew a much wider, et, uh, you know, wider wedge 
um, by having Elena tell Mia, uh, tell Pearl Mia's secret and having the fact that, you know, she spent all this money that could have gone towards Pearl's well-being rather than a woman she barely knew. And, you know, I found it interesting that Mia describes herself as having been uh, disowned by her parents because they have a scene before she's told she can't go to the funeral that her mother does say to her, we love you. I believe she even says, we love you, we support you, but we just can't have you at this funeral. We can't explain your condition. And this day should be about honoring Warren's memory. Um, And she took that as disownment. So something that my parents brought up to me that I kind of probably overlooked based on the years in which we were raised was that it's very likely that her surrogacy was a lot more controversial than I think even the show touched on. Um, it wasn't something this, you know, if she was doing this in the eighties, it was very new and not, um, well looked upon, especially by people in the religious community and her parents were very religious. So perhaps it was kind of quietly understood that her parents would have trouble supporting her and just like in the throes of grief, feeling like the, her brother who really understood her was gone. And so she felt alone. Shout out to my two favorite people, Debbie and yeah. Jeff Weissman. Yeah, they're your two of your biggest fans. I, I'm, I'm honored that they would want to listen to the podcast and provide their feedback because I think that's a yeah. really good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I completely, like when I was watching it, and I think Dana, you had said last time that it was much more shocking to watch what she did, like when she decided to keep Paul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I honestly didn't even really think think about the fact that this was surrogacy in the 90s and it's it was portrayed much different than it is today. Mm-hmm. Your perceptions of the show are going to be different from when you were raised, which is right. why the show is so interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. I did think that like Pearl forgave her mom a little too quickly. I was like, really? I would have been so pissed off at my mother. <laughs> yeah, in the book, he forgets her even faster. Right they created this extra conflict that and it was like very fiery i also just feel like pearl is way more mature than i was at 15 and probably more mature than most 15 year olds so maybe it works for her character i like the poem that mia wrote that it's her um voiceover but carrie washburn mm-hmm. mia carrie washington <laughs> is reading it in the car when pearl goes to um visit the grandparents um I just thought that that was really beautiful. And then they interspliced it with looking over the art installation that Mia made with, like, the oatmeal white town and the cardinal and the cage and how, you know, it kind of is interwoven that Mia and Pearl kind of learns the same lessons and express them through different modes of art. I definitely had some feelings at the end. Like, I've... I didn't cry, but I was like, oh, man, like, I am feeling some emotions here. Like, and Carrie Washington is so great. When she cries, she makes me want to cry. So, like, when she was reading her poem, I thought that was, oh, that was such great acting. It evoked a lot of feelings out of me. And then speaking at the, about the end, too, Elena really had, two, like, two big actions at the end. So she took responsibility for the fire, realizing that her actions are why a lot of this has happened. And then she called her daughter Izzy, which is all Izzy ever wanted to be called, and her mom refused. Do you guys feel like Elena found redemption at the end or was, like, on the path toward redemption? Where do you see Elena going? 
I actually didn't pick up that she called her Izzy. I think that was like the I think that was the last scene or the last thing Elena said. That's a good call. I do think it's interesting to have Elena like start to realize that her role in this. I think Bill had a part in that by saying, "Don't you realize you're the common denominator here? Like you brought Mia into our lives. None of this would have ha- would have happened if you hadn't had some sort of like white guilt that you needed to erase." by, you know, calling the police on her and then saying, oh, but I'm not racist, here's why. That it really was such a domino effect. You know, her friends would have still had her baby. Um, Her kids wouldn't necessarily be fighting. You know, so much changed all because she stuck her nose in Mia's business, sleeping in her car. Mm -hmm. There's like a glimmer of hope of redemption for her, but she has work to do. Oh, yeah, she has a long way to go. In terms of Izzy, though, they don't... In the book, they tell you that she's heading, I believe, like, to find Mia's parents. In the show, they don't tell you where she's going at all. She's not on the bus. I feel like she's, like, kind of stuck where she's maybe going. Like, if she just runs away on a bus, it's just, like, have to go. It's kind of like, okay, but where are you doing? Where are you going? (laughs) Do you think they'll make a sequel with this one? People are speculating. Oh. I know, but I don't want a sequel. They have to let things lie. Let things lie, people. There's not a season two for a book, necessarily. So, shameless plug for the blog. I did a, I wrote a post about this, how, like, when the book stops, like, you should stop the show or stop the movie, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, that narrative is over. It was great. And, I mean, it's, I feel the same way about, like, all the extra things they've done with Harry Potter. Like, just let it mm-hmm. live. Let it, let it be. Definitely. Like, you have to just be okay with some ending. Like, you can't, it's like, it's, I feel like it's because nowadays we have this constant thirst for content and entertainment. We can't just right. have one nice thing. Right. Right. Like, Big Little Lies won for best limited series for the first season because it was supposed to be a limited series. Mm-hmm. And then it came out with a season two. That sucks for all the limited series that came out and lost the award to them. Oh, you're right. It's a regular show. And I feel like no matter what, when you go into creating a new, like, season or whatever from something that's already written, no matter what, you're catering to some sense of what the audience wants. Like, you're doing something to Uh entertain them. You're taking away now from, like, the original, like, why it was good in the first place, because now you're pandering in some way, Uh whether you're making it more suspenseful, whether you're making it more controversial or whatever. You're doing something... It, to me, it's, like, slightly pandering, even if they have to offer, because, right, let the work stand on its own when they didn't have any outside, you know, thoughts. <laughs> right. And, like, she has other books that you can adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she's a great storyteller. She has other works that you can now adapt into original work, and then you give other actors jobs. So, Reese, if you're listening, <laughs> don't do another series or another season. We're We're content with it. Yeah. It was really good. So so let's <laughs> let's compare the two. So I want to know. So I want flame. So tell me how flame worthy it was, and then tell me if you prefer the show to the book. Mm. Mm. I gave the book a four. I think I give the show a five. Wow. Yeah. I think I'm gonna give them both a five. I think so. I gave the book a five, and I'm mm. gonna give the show a five as well. I think. I think I'm going to go with the book. It's like barely edging out the show, but that's just because when I read the book, 
I was like, is this my favorite book of all time? I think it's in the top three. So I'm, I'm going to, the book is winning, but, but just by a smidge. Got it. If I have to choose one, I would probably agree with you just because the sense of suspense in the book for me, like the show wasn't as suspenseful for me until the last episode. Mm-hmm. But the book, you, you know, you get that sense of suspense reading. You like want to know what happened. I don't know. I didn't have to say it was That's the only thing I would give the book, I guess. The show like accelerated the action, kind of, and that's why there wasn't suspense. I think I think there was more. Well, I think it wasn't as suspenseful because the fire was like the very, very beginning for two seconds. Then it's much more like interested in the characters. What are they doing? Like what's going on? And then yeah, like the, I wonder. Uh, you know, I you I guess if you had never read the book, you would be wondering how the heck you know Pearl came into being. But I felt uh-huh. like reading it, I was more like, what happened? I just need to know. Right. Though, to be fair, I literally forgot how Pearl came into being. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was suspenseful, but I think I agree. And I think maybe this is just something that's inherent with literature compared to movies, where, like, literature, you just want to, like, keep turning the page, keep turning the page. And, like, and with shows, I feel like they just they throw all the action at you. So you're just trying to like consume it all rather than like feeling it, feeling all of the suspense. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's how like I remember feeling when I was reading it versus when I was watching it on TV. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily like, I wasn't going to be binging it. Mm-hmm. Like if all of it had come out, I don't know if I would be like binging it because I felt like one episode was enough. Yeah. Other shows, I feel like, you know, I have, I like need to know immediately. Therefore I have to binge all of it in like a, eight-hour period right it was also well, just like a lot every episode I was like oh shit this is heavy yeah um one thing that we didn't get to that I think is worthy of mentioning it wasn't in the book but Bill gets to confront Elena in the way that we all wish we could to the partner that did us wrong from you know at least he's not the sucker paying for dinner and maybe it's time I go out and get my own pacifier, which I'm like, really? You remember that from 15 years ago? But either way, he delivered it so well. I, I, was, I thoroughly was enjoyed that scene. I was like, yeah. yes, yes, this was what I was anticipating and what I was wanting. And I feel like like Bill delivered. Mm-hmm. Also, on kind of on that Who same note. the paper trail? Right. Oh, I know. Like, she's a journalist. Shouldn't she know these things? Exactly. <laughs> Um, on a similar note, I thought Elena's like screaming howl at Lexi oh was incredible. I think the actors' reactions were genuine. <laughs> they were like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, it was it was very impressive, and you don't usually see Reese just like flip out like that. So it was kind of yeah. fun to watch. It was guttural, it was visceral, all of the things. Yep. It had all of the emotions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of sad that it's over because that means we don't have this episode anymore to, or this podcast to talk about this anymore. But you guys will just have to come back so we can we can chat more about literature and all of our feelings. Yeah, and maybe, you know, um, listeners can um, find your post on Big Little Lit and tell us what they think in the comments. Let me know. Go to biglittlelit.com, listen to the episode of The Bibliophiles, and we want to hear what you guys think because there's so much to talk about with this show. Yeah. There's probably something we missed. Probably. I mean, we're pretty thorough, but we're not perfect, I guess. (laughs) 
yeah, thanks, guys. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. All right, guys. We will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bibliophiles. If you want more, be sure to check out my blog, Big Little Literature. If you want to hear today's music from Evan Schaefer, check him out at soundcloud.com slash evanschaefer. See you next time.